thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play! Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about The Marine 2. Yes, we are finishing our coverage of The Marine Trilogy. <laughs> That's right. And before we get started, be forewarned that uh, this discussion will be chock full of spoilers, possibly for the entire Marine series. Now, the reason uh, that that we haven't done this one so far... Uh, was was among other things i didn't want to do this one <laughs> i i had seen this movie uh you saw it the first time for this review right yeah i actually watched it um last night i had seen this uh a few years ago i think it was probably two maybe three years ago at this point the academy awards was having was having their broadcast and the channel that carries it, ABC, whatever it is, was having a dispute with with my cable company. And so they weren't going to be carrying that station for one weekend for some crazy reason. And they would we wouldn't get the Academy Awards and people were all up in arms, you know, that that like the Academy Awards. So the. Uh, the cable company said, hey, you guys can go ahead and for free get any movie on our cable system so that way you can watch one of these nominated films for <laughs> free instead of watching the Academy Awards. So I Beautiful. said, I don't want to see any of these nominated films. And then I realized it could be any film. And I looked through and I saw this and I said, ah, the Marine too. Well, I love the Marine. I'll, I'll check this out. And I watched it and I found that it was, it was just dull to me. It didn't, it didn't excite me. It wasn't bad. Uh, it just wasn't great in, in any way. It was just, uh, an average film. And I, I really didn't have a lot of, uh, desire to go back and check it out again. I didn't feel Ted DiBiase had a lot of personality that came through, and I thought that the movie was uh, predictable and, and didn't go the way as I wanted to, and so I haven't seen it again since I saw it then. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it here. You can see whether I changed my mind. Let's see. Did, did a second viewing, which I did today. Did that change my opinion on this film, or is it still the way it was a few years ago? So mm. let's get into it. All right. 12 Rounds, directed by Roel Reni. Yes. Um, well, actually, he is the director of the upcoming 12 Rounds Reloaded. Yeah, what the hell is this? Why do we have 12 rounds? Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. I was, I, I see 12 rounds and yes. I thought, okay, that makes sense. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So believe me, I would love to talk about 12 rounds again <laughs> if you want to. So wait, so this guy did a Marine sequel and now yes. he's doing the 12 round sequel? He's like the WWE sequel guy, I guess. And he also did Death Race 2 and the Scorpion King 3, which I believe has Batista in it. All right. You'll have to assist me here. What is Death Race 2? 
Um, a couple years ago, they did a sort of reimagining or a reboot or whatever you want to call it of the sort of cult classic Death Race 2000. I don't US. even believe you need to put the word cult before that. That is a classic. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to sell me on that. And it was directed by uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, the other Paul Anderson. And um, it had Jason Statham in it. And, it, you know, it, for what it was, it was, a you know, a decent, you know, action movie. By by no means did it live up to the uh, the name of the of the, the original film. But it sort of, you know, did what it was supposed to. And um, maybe a couple years after that, they did two straight-to-video sequels without mm-hmm. Jason Statham called Death Race 2 and Death Race 3. And they, they both had subtitles of some kind, um, you know, like all the sequels do nowadays. Sure. Yeah. The Final Hunt. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you know, they got further and further away from the concept of what a Death Race was. Now, I, I didn't see this movie. I have a vague memory of it coming out. Was it funny like the original? No. It it sort of just delivered a routine Jason Statham action film sort of in the vein of, like, let's say, the, the Transporter films. Mm, okay. So, you know what we got to do? Mm-hmm. We got to go through the cast of that film and see if there is a tangential connection <laughs> to wrestling. If one person in the cast at one point worked on the ring crew or something so we can review that film. Because the original Death Race 2000 uh, is just such an awesome film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably a movie I've watched the most times. Because, first of all, it's got a really, really uh, short running time. Right. Um, there have been times where I've watched it back to back. Me and my cousin were big fans of it when I was, uh, you know, back in college. And wow. we used to just watch that, you know, back to back to back sometimes. Uh, so, so fun, so quotable. And it's got just a great Stallone performance. The first time I saw it, I, I was a kid and I saw it on uh, cable, on uh, regular TV, mm-hmm. UHF, you know, which for the young people in the audience used to get up into the high channels where they might show a stupid movie uh, like this. And so they would put it on, but they'd edit it. And so it had all these weird like close ups mm-hmm. where if there was any kind of, you know, graphic violence or nudity yeah. in a scene, they would maybe close in on part of the screen that didn't have anything going on on it. Oh, and beautiful. so you'd get this weird effect. And so I watched it on that and then I waited for them to run it again. And then I videotaped it on my VCR and, and just loved this movie. And then when I finally saw the actual real uncut movie, my mind was blown, but just a, a fantastic <laughs> movie. So people, people definitely should check that out. Uh, back to this movie, mm-hmm. The Marine 2, written by Christopher Borelli. Now, what do we know about him other than that his last name sounds like a pasta brand? It does, and I'm starving. Um, he's got an interesting kind of career. Um, one of his most notable credits was the movie, the Michael Bay movie Armageddon. Um, and he was credited with, um, being the videographer, uh, and he worked on the high speed miniatures unit. Um, and he was credited as Chris Borelli, whereas he's credited Christopher here. So he probably photographed the space shuttles that they were supposed to be in, uh, wow. in outer space. That's a fascinating thing. And so then he moved into writing, uh, and wrote this with another man, John Chapin Morgan. I think that's a pretty neat uh, career change. Yeah. Yeah. It's always cool to see those, um, you know, those guys that sort of dip their, their, their feet into a couple different, you know, ponds in the, uh, the world, you know, the world of Hollywood. 
Let's talk a little bit about the cast. Of course, Ted DiBiase Jr., who's now just Ted DiBiase, and we're supposed to forget that his dad was Ted DiBiase and just call him the Million Dollar Man. Uh, he's he's the star. He's our lead character. He's not the character John Cena played, nor is he the character that uh, that the Miz played that was originally written for Randy Orton, which uh, leaves totally it different character. Yes, which leaves this open for the Marine Four, where we get an expendable style. Oh, you know what? Now I'm starting to get excited. I love that idea. Where we get all three of them. We get Cena, we get DiBiase, and we get The Miz, and they get dropped into something. This would be great. They totally should do that. They could do that. They should do that. The Uh, roster could take the hit. I want to say, while we're on this subject... uh, Ted DiBiase, his character, and and we'll we'll point out when it happens, but multiple times throughout the movie, he's real sarcastic. He's mm-hmm. got a, a real wit about him. And I don't know who it was that was like, Ted DiBiase looks like a guy that would be really funny to be around. <laughs> you know, it was really like a lot of, you know, he's like, she's like, do you like it here? He's like, it's all right if you like paradise. <laughs> um, and it reminded me of how, when we watched The Miz, he seemed to be doing a Randy Orton in that in the in the Marine Three. He seemed to be playing a character that was really not written for him, a character uh-huh. that was surlier and much more serious. Here we've got Ted DiBiase playing a character that felt like it wasn't written for him, a character that had much more of a wit, and, you know, would would have been much more comfortable with somebody like The Miz, somebody that you know that you think could could say something funny here or there and it seemed weird it may have been written for john cena because mm-hmm. definitely you can see john cena saying those kind of one-liners oh yeah yeah definitely although this would not have worked as a direct sequel with him playing the same character for a, a magnitude of reasons also in the cast uh now there was a character named Damo that I see here on the list. Mm-hmm. Who was this in the movie? What was who? Who did uh, Tamura Morrison play? Do you know? Yes, he played the main guy that he fights on the uh, the boat at the end. All right. So this was this is the big big mm-hmm. heel uh, who who uh, traps a woman in a box. So yes, yeah. we'll get to him. Laura Cox. She's the the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Also was in Kangaroo Jack, which I've seen, and so uh, she was. I probably probably noticed her. I I can't imagine overlooking that beautiful woman. And yeah. Robert Colby is Darren Connor. So Darren Connor is he the the guy who owns the island? They go yeah, to? he was the jerk. Okay, yes, <laughs> and uh, and played with no no shortage of overacting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Rooker in this. I loved seeing Michael Rooker play church. Yes, um, you know he, uh, he's uh, he was currently on or uh, was recently on The Walking Dead. He was in Stallone's Cliffhanger. He was in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. A lot of our listeners might know him as Fenning in Mallrats, and right. he showed up here. And he didn't seem like he was taking a paycheck, which was very cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll get into his performance and his character. But first, Craig, why don't you hit us with a plot summary? Sure thing. Marine sniper Joe Linwood, Ted DiBiase Jr., attempts to rescue his wife Robin from a hotel that has been taken over by local rebels. The Linwoods are vacationing at the lavish Thailand resort when the terrorists invade during the hotel's grand opening. Joe escapes the initial onslaught and must find a way to save his wife and the other hostages. 
All right. Now, it's interesting. At this point, I believe they were still calling him Ted DiBiase Jr., which is why the description says that. But it seems like now WWE tends to brand him mm-hmm. specifically as Ted DiBiase. Yeah, one thing I did notice, though, in the end credits, he was listed as just Ted DiBiase. Interesting. So, so maybe this was during the switch. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a nice guy uh, to follow on Twitter. He seems like he's having a having a good time. Seems like he's he's a lot of fun, and he's got uh, a couple brothers uh, that are wrestlers as well, and are, are on the independent circuit. And and he seems like a seems like a nice guy. And it's also fun when he tweets pictures. Occasionally, he'll tweet a picture. He's like, "I'm at my dad's house." Oh. And it's not the million dollar mansion you expect. It's a nice, comfortable home. You yes. know. Uh-huh. Which is always very cool, you know, because you it's it's almost better. I like the fact that that the million dollar man seems like he's just a regular grandfather now. He has yeah. uh, grandkids, apparently, and just seems like he's a regular guy. He's not the, the character we saw on TV because, boy, would that be weird if, you know, like he's at the <laughs> hospital and they're like, your grandson's almost born. And he pulls off his silver shiny tuxedo <laughs> and his ring gear and is like, I'll help out. Yeah. Uh, just be strange. So this was based on on a true story. Is that true? According to um, you know Wikipedia, which had a source, yeah, it was based on uh, a 2001 incident uh, called the Dos Palmos kidnappings. Uh, that took place in the Philippines, and it was a hostage crisis, um, basically on a, a private resort. Um, and it didn't have as much of a happy ending uh, during the 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 um the events 22 mm-hmm. filipino soldiers were killed uh in an ap- in attempts to apprehend the captors um and some of the um the hostages were even killed uh wow. so yeah. yeah no it sounds like they they cleaned it up a bit i will say this about the philippines mm-hmm. uh when i was in college i was taking some acting classes and there was somebody that came in to speak to us about going to the philippines to act that in the philippines they like to have american actors particularly Mm -hmm. if you have blonde hair they like blonde hair and they they like to have some american character characters in movies and one of the things i remember was that they told us that southern accents are really good they like that for their american characters (laughs) but the thing that stood out to me the most because as i'm hearing this i'm like this is fascinating Mm -hmm. this is the great greatest thing in the world you know i'll i could go over and become a filipino movie star and they're talking about you know what you'd get they're like you know you get room and board and you get private security and they're going through this and I, i'm like wait why what does the private security do and they said well they'll walk you wherever you go i was like to the to a movie or no they'll walk you you know if you're going to the grocery store or if you're and i said why would you need private security they said, well they really like to kidnap caucasians because they believe they're american and that they can get a lot of money for them. So they they uh, you would need to have full-time armed guards. And so I was like, all right, that, to me, this no longer sounds like an adventure I want to go on. Yeah, it seems a little risky uh, for, you know, uh, for, the, for, you know, chasing a dream, yeah. Yeah, but no, but apparently they, if, you, if you've got the guts to do that part of it, the Big dream rewards. is easier to chase there. Yeah, because apparently there's not a lot of people that want to line up to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's not a lot of people that say, yeah, you know what? I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be in a place where I'm worried about somebody stealing my iPhone. If I leave it on the counter, I want to be in a place where I worry about somebody tying me up and holding me for <laughs> ransom. I've actually seen at least one Filipino movie. Oh. Um, it's called lady Terminator. It's from the eighties. Okay. And it's pretty much seems like, um, a screenwriter sat down after watching the Terminator and said, how can we do this movie with a woman for no money? Yeah, exactly. They they do. Um, they did a, a Filipino Wonder Woman uh, mm-hmm. that was very popular. And there's a uh, there's a Filipino Batman that I, I've seen. Oh, awesome. Uh, they're, they're very big, you know, on uh, on taking American properties. So maybe in the Philippines, yeah. there is a Filipino Marine, too. Yes. <laughs> where where they're in America. And they're taken over by a bunch of Americans like he's a Filipino and he's traveling <laughs> in America where he's where his his girlfriend's taken hostage and he has to go save her. Oh, they could do it with Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> Ted DiBiase Sr., mm-hmm. the father of the current superstar who we don't see on TV very much. Uh, the Million Dollar Man, the dad. Yes. Uh, retired in 1994. A very interesting story about him is uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. is a third-generation wrestler. Mm-hmm. His father, very famous wrestler. His grandfather, also a wrestler. But what's interesting about that is Ted DiBiase Sr. is the adopted son of Mike DiBiase. Now, this should have been obvious to you when you look <laughs> at Ted DiBiase Jr. and Ted DiBiase and realize they don't look Italian. Yes. His grandfather was Italian. So so Ted DiBiase Jr.'s grandfather was uh, was an Italian wrestler, uh, Mike DiBiase. And uh, and so it's third generation, but it's not a, a third generation bloodline, which is a which is an interesting story um, in itself. Uh, very, very sad. end to Mike DiBiase's life was that he had a heart attack in the ring 1969. And Ted DiBiase Sr. said he always worried about that, that 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 dying in the ring mm-hmm. was something he feared every time he got in there. Rightfully so, and that almost would ex- probably explain his somewhat early retirement. I mean, he's not a in, 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 an elderly man now, so in 94, he was probably, you know, um, you know, young enough to, to, I guess, retire and still, you know, uh, enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, if he really had the bug like a Hogan or a Flair, oh, yeah, um, he probably could have gone another 10 years. Yes, indeed. Or if he needed the money, I guess. That's, I think, I think that's part of it. I think the million dollar man is living comfortably because he saved a lot of the money he made during the gimmick of being the million dollar man. He, uh, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And when he, when he did get inducted, he, he gave his speech. And one of the things he told about the million dollar belt that I thought was so funny was that there were three real diamonds put on the backside of it, the side that you can't see, you know, that would be up against his belly welly. Okay. And he said that Vince said this so that that way you'll never need to lie about, lie to people about it having real diamonds on it. Oh, nice. And it seemed odd, though, because you lie about a lot when you're the million-dollar man. I don't know why Vince felt the need to embellish that this one story had to have some kernel of truth to it. But uh, it was interesting. Ted DiBiase Jr. tells a story that when he was a kid, he stole that belt and took it to school for show and tell. <laughs> Can you imagine being in class and Ted DiBiase Jr. brings in that belt? 
He said that he had four or five girlfriends by the end of the day, and he was the most popular kid in school. He said in one interview that his dad never found out, and then he said in another interview that his dad didn't find out for many years. So I don't know if he found out in between the two interviews, but uh, uh, it, it sounds like he got away with it, at least for the time period that he could be you know, put in some kind of timeout or punishment or whooped or put in the corner or have Virgil babysit him. Now that should be the next WWE family comedy. Oh my God. You know, I, I had a theory years ago, uh, when, when, uh, when you had legacy, you had Randy Orton Mm -hmm. together with Cody Rhodes, which is Dusty Rhodes, son. Yeah. And then you had the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase's son, Ted DiBiase Jr. in the same stable. And all I could think was there was a time where Sweet Sapphire was with Dusty and then she left and <laughs> went to be with Ted DiBiase. And I thought, what if they did a storyline where Sweet Sapphire was both of their mothers? <laughs> Why did sadly? They? Sadly, she's gone. Uh, she she passed away. So I guess I guess that was not to be. But the career of Ted DiBiase Jr. was to be. Uh, he was trained by Chris Youngblood in Amarillo, Texas, and went to Harley Race's Wrestling Academy. He speaks very highly of Harley Race in that academy. Says that it's a it's a it's the best place to learn. Uh, and he made his debut 2006 for WLW, which is Harley Race's promotion in Missouri. Yeah, and then, on my birthday, too. Ah, happy birthday to you in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he went ahead and he uh, wrestled in Japan for Pro Wrestling Noah. Florida Championship Wrestling 2007 to 2008. Signed a, a deal with WWE 2007, July 2007, and then debuted in 2008. I think that's crazy how quick he got in there. Yeah, and it, it probably, you know, not to take away from his, his natural abilities, mm-hmm. but it was probably the fact that he was a third-generation superstar, and that's something when you're bringing a guy in, you can play that up right away. Yeah, I think, though, it may have hurt him because I really feel like he was a a, a talented guy that, you know, needs to now be rebranded mm-hmm. if they want to bring him back on. And if he was a guy that was just getting up there now, you know, you'd be very impressed by him. You oh, know? yeah. And, and if you put him up against guys his age, you might be impressed by his talent if you hadn't already been seeing him since 2008. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is interesting. Made his uh, WWE debut as a, as a villain in May 2008. Uh, cut a promo saying he was going to be champ like his dad. And he uh, challenged Cody Rhodes and Hardcore Holly uh, for the Night of Champions pay-per-view. And uh, he won the Tag Team Championship uh, on his first uh, first match in WWE, so they they strapped yeah. a rocket to his back. Oh yeah, yeah, and he did that without without a tie without a, a partner. So I, I I assume that at some point Holly had to know that that Rhodes was going to turn on him. <laughs> I guess so. I guess uh, I guess so. Um, they were uh, they then had this uh, legacy which uh, which for a while Manu was part of mm-hmm. who was a, a third generation Samoan superstar and uh, you know they went on what did you think of that stable when it was uh, DiBiase Rhodes and Randy Orton what was your what was your thoughts on this I really liked it I thought it was it was cool to see you know three young guys sort of uh, in a faction uh, at a time when you weren't really getting a lot of factions. Um, and it led to sort of a, a logical, you know, breakup of that faction, which, you know, led to, a, you know, some really good matches. Yeah, but the the very end of it, there was a, a WrestleMania pay-per-view 
match with the two of them against Randy Orton and Randy Orton beat them both. <laughs> and it, to me, it really pushed them both way yeah. back. I and mean, uh-huh. that's, that's crushing, you know, yeah. for one guy to just, just, just beat both of you. You know, you were his lackeys the whole time. The point behind that storyline, if you go back and think of, uh, DiBiase and Virgil, what happened when Virgil broke off from, from Ted DiBiase was Virgil started bettering Ted DiBiase. Didn't work out in the long run, but there was that run with Roddy Piper training him, and you know, yeah. and it was he was the underdog. Mm-hmm. Instead, in this case, it was let's see if if uh, if Randy can just beat these two jokers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the Marine Two, December two thousand nine. This came out just before the end of the year, just before two thousand ten, and uh, the first time Ted DiBiase ever acted was was in this film. Yeah, pretty neat, and and I got to say that. Um... He showed a lot more charisma or ability um, in this movie than I ever saw him do outside of the ring on WWE programming. I got a I got a quote from him talking about his uh, his acting and how he got this role. Uh, he said to get the, to get the role for the movie. He said, "quote." It was thrown in my lap almost. I was at Raw, and one of the guys came up to me and said, hey, we want you to come and read for a movie. Come out a day early next week and read for the movie. I didn't think much about it, and I went the next week. And right before I went in there, I was sitting and thinking that it could be really cool to be in a movie. I was thinking that they wanted to just take a look at me and that I had no chance at all. But I was only six months into my career at this point. But I went in, gave it my best shot. And after I was done, they said, wow, how long have you been acting? And I looked at my watch and I said, about 15 minutes. And that was it. They called me about a week later and told me I had the part. And I was off to Thailand after that. So, (laughs) you know, boy, this guy has had all the breaks. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So, uh what what do you want to say about his career before we get into the uh, into the the meat of the review here and break down this film? What do you want to talk about with regards to his legacy career and beyond? I would like to think that it's it's not over. I know right now he'll pop up on Saturday morning yeah. Slam mm-hmm. um, or or main event, and you know I think like you said earlier, he could really use sort of a rebranding. I think one of the biggest mistakes they made with him career-wise was making him face when he was doing those parking lot parties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and whatnot. I mean, certain guys just work as heels. And and I think, um, you know, they, they recently brought back uh, Michael McGillicuddy on uh, on Raw as as a heel, uh, rebranded as Kurt, Kurt Axel, mm-hmm. um, or Curtis Axel. Um, and I think you could do the same thing with DiBiase, and I think people would would, would, would buy it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh I think he may need, you know, may need a new look, you know, may need, you know, new trunks, new style, maybe a whole new, you know, just repackage him from top to bottom, you know, give him a new name and everything. But uh but anyway, he's a guy who who does have some potential and and if he retired now had a pretty decent career as a wrestler. Yeah, you know, he held some he he held some uh he held the the million dollar championship. <laughs> well, and he is the only million dollar champion because when uh, when when his father had it and when Virgil won it from him, it was the million dollar belt. Ah, right. It was it was uh, moved up to be a championship for current branding, and so uh, so yes, indeed, he held that. 
and uh, he had the uh, tag team championship two times with Cody, and he had he had some fun. You know, I mean, there was some good moments. There was a lot of fun stuff with him and Maurice. There was the fun stuff where he was looking for a new Virgil, which you know ended up to be Maurice. But uh, you know, he he had some good moments. You know, so far, and hopefully. Down the road, you know, uh, we'll we'll get another acting performance out of him. We'll be able to say, hey, remember when we talked about the Marine, too, and his career was at a lull? Mm-hmm. Boy, he's doing so well right now. Yes. So this movie starts out. We see a little kid with a gun. He's pointing this gun, and then we see the girl come out with the big super soaker. Yes, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I was so <laughs> nervous. I don't know what they were trying to do. I, I don't know why... Why do this? Why right. try to shock the audience with this little kid pointing a gun at at another little kid right off the bat? What's yeah. what's that about? And then they get even they they go into an, an even weirder place that really yeah. doesn't pay anything off. So yeah, yeah, Diviasi yeah. and and I guess his 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 partner, mm-hmm. whatever Marines are called when they're together. Yes, <laughs> they're uh they're on as like a surveillance um detail, uh, and they they watch a gun sale go down. And then they see um, a leader um, right. who I guess they weren't expecting to see. They call it in that this yeah, guy's this there. Is, this is like Bin Laden. They yes. see like the Bin Laden that they weren't expecting to see. Mm-hmm. And I guess they eventually get word that it's 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 up to them what they want to do. Yes. So <laughs> here's here's my question about this. Is this group that's buying the guns that Ted DiBiase shoots the leader of, are they the ones that kidnap and hold everybody hostage? Wow. You know what? I didn't think about it. They definitely looked like they could have been. Okay. I mean, they were in Thailand. I kept waiting for us to be told that they were, (laughs) but I never once got any, you know, uh, uh, you know, a sense that that was the case. So I have no idea, but we do see Ted DiBiase shoots this guy. We see the little boy is shot and this is crushing to Ted DiBiase. He's trying to bring him back with CPR and his buddy's like, look, it's, it's too late for him. And, and we go away, we get a, a, a cut and all of a sudden DiBiase's back on the base. He's having flashbacks about this kid. He's talking to his wife. She has a few days off. He, he's going to, you know, go off to an island for her work, but he doesn't want to yeah. do this. And he seems like he really just needs to relax. This guy's got a lot of stress. Yeah. He says, I just want to go home. She goes, unfortunately I got work. And then he finally says, well, you know, home is wherever you are. And, um, the, the most interesting thing about this whole sort of setup that they do is the death of this little boy doesn't really factor into the rest of the movie. No, it doesn't. It doesn't I mean, seem like it really has much of a lasting effect on DiBiase and his ability to do what he needs to do. Right. He thinks about it a lot, but I never got a, a reason to unless these guys were the same bad guys mm-hmm. and we were supposed to know that and he's now getting justice for this little kid yeah that would have made sense if possibly the the main bad guy if that's the one who shot the little kid uh-huh. but if if it was they did a bad job of telling me that because i didn't you know know that for sure when i got to the end of the movie yeah, I actually hadn't even thought about it till you mentioned it so that shows how how poorly it was it was set up if that was their intent yeah. Now, um, we do get a, a weird uh, scene at the end of this or a weird uh, uh, transition. She's <laughs> looking over. <laughs> and so she's doing Skype, which, by the way, damn, Skype works really good for her. 
You know, yeah, and he was talking... on an internet connection from Thailand. <laughs> yeah, but he did have a nice Mac. But so she's like, we should, we should go. And then all of a sudden, she's like in front of a movie screen, and we see a plane take off over her head, and she's in it. Yeah, that, I guess that was them go, plugging into the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be great if at the end of this movie, the whole thing was a virtual reality thing? She's like, remember when I said we'll take off? Then I hit the button and we both went into the virtual reality game. <laughs> it was a weird choice. And, oh, and yeah. I don't think we saw we saw a few touches of flair throughout this mm. movie from the director. But this was probably the weirdest one. And I'm not saying I disliked it. It just seemed very jarring and weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So DiBiase gets to the island. He's making sarcastic comments constantly because he's the funny guy, yep. this DiBiase. But he's haunted by the death of this boy. He sees a boy, you know, fishing, and he thinks of this boy, and he, he's he's saying, "I right, maybe I should leave the Marines." And she's like, "I don't care if you leave the Marines. You could mop the floor, and and I'd still love you." <laughs> uh, and then we meet her boss, and he comes over, and he's this. Uh, like self-help guy or something, but he's a real jerk. Yeah, he seemed very against sort of the personality type that a lot of those guys have. Yeah. You know, you think of like a Tony Robbins or or somebody like that who's very positive and you know always tries to bring the you know the the spirit of whoever they're around up. And this guy was just man, he was a real jerk. Yeah, this may have been uh, the gimmick here may have been that somebody involved was like, we'll stick it to them. We'll show what they're like behind the scenes. Yeah. At Tony Robbins. Yeah. Instead, it just made you, you know, it sort of reinforced that stereotype that in incredibly wealthy people are just mean. Yes. So so he's 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 like, why don't you get to work? Stop <laughs> yeah. sitting on the beach. And so uh, so but then the next scene, they're going to 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 go snorkeling. Yeah. You know, so immediately they're going to go snorkeling. We meet Michael Rooker. His name's Church, and he's got a little shack set up for mm -hmm. snorkeling. We find out that he was a powder monkey in the Army, yeah. so he knew a lot about explosives. And he's going to take them over to, to go snorkeling. Now, at this moment, didn't mm -hmm. you think he's going to be the bad guy in this movie? Uh, you know what? I didn't think that, but I could totally see that. I mean... It's Michael Rooker, so you're expecting yes. him to get utilized. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, he loves but, his cigars, uh, too. I mean, that is another sort of, um, you know, clue that would have led to him eventually turning is, yeah. you know, you see a guy with a cigar and you say, oh, I don't trust this guy. And he's kind of flirty with the wife and yeah. kind of in a playful way mean with uh, with DiBiase. Yeah. But uh, he takes him out. He's like, here's a secret cave that'll go to the resort, which, you know, pays off a little later in the movie. And then they snorkel for like 10 seconds uh -huh. and then they make out on the beach for the rest of the time. Yeah, they basically just, uh, I guess, reenact uh, from here to eternity. And really, do you need to to, to rent a snorkel? Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. what they had looked like it was from the dollar store. It was like the little snorkel and the glasses. Yeah, and and Rooker's like, you take your pick, you know. And <laughs> at first, I was thinking, I was like, well, they're gonna use snorkels that somebody else used. I mean, do they put like a protective cover over the the mouth thing or? Hey, look, after the from here to eternity scene, there's a lot of mouth going on. I guess, I guess the salt water sort of takes care yeah, of maybe, everything. Yeah, it just cleans it off. Sure. <laughs> the cigar smoke in there doesn't bother you. It's got to taste like an old 
an old Phillies blunt, you know, just yeah. everything in that in that in that little shack. Uh, but so anyway, they go back. Uh, there's the party setting up. You know, we see Rooker's in charge of the fireworks. And again, I'm like, so he's going to blow things up. Right. Yeah. And so we get an attack on the party and Rooker saves him. And I'm like, because he started all this and he's the main <laughs> bad guy. But he's not, you know, he's not. We get a hostage video and we're told in a line of dialogue that the bad guys are separatists fighting Western influence in their country. Yeah. And they, they kill one of the hostages right away. They, they sort of cut him from behind. It's like they, they slash the back of his, his neck. Mm -hmm. Um, and the one thing is, um, yeah, these guys might've been fighting the Western influence or whatever, but I got to say that these were some of the blandest (laughs) bad guys that I've ever seen in a movie. Um, yeah. You can go one of two ways. You can make them incredibly, incredible evil, evil, and, and you want to see them, you know, you know, get beat. Or you can go like the, you know, the the route that they went in the Rock with, um, with the, you know, the 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 army guy that you know wanted the government to, you know, make amends for all their wrongdoings, and mm-hmm. you know. Ed Harris's character in that is sort of throughout the movie, you sort of feel sympathy for him. Here, these guys were about as cardboard cut out as you could get. Right. And and one thing that they they could do that if the way the movie was set up was that we don't spend time with them. We're spending time just with the hero. And these are just generic villains. But these guys get a lot of screen mm-hmm. time for guys that aren't doing anything. Yeah. And 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 when they are doing it, they're not unless they're fighting, they're not doing it very well. That's right. So we get to see the man in charge of the military. He kind of feels a little bit like he's a snake. And we hear that he hired mercenaries. We later find out that the reason for this was if the mercenaries fail, then the military would stand down and and it would all work out for him because, as we'll learn, he's a turncoat. Yes. we we see the mercenaries and the one thing I like is the guy's reading the book of the of the self help book yes. and he just tosses it over his shoulder. Real great moment and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and I I was actually hoping as that jeep pulled up that we would get the mercenaries from Rambo. Oh yeah, you know <laughs> this movie started to feel a lot like Rambo, like the and for for those uh, that aren't as in tune with that series, that's the most recent mm-hmm. one, not yes. the first one. Uh, but it felt a lot like that. It it did have that feel, but n- not in you know not in the same way, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, especially the, it, the music the too. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so, what'd you think of the music? I you know I thought for a movie like this, it did exactly mm-hmm. what it was supposed to do. Yeah, I I actually the the music is one of the high points for me. I thought it at points was really beautiful, and I thought mm. it it uh, it sounded like a big budget score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole movie did. I mean, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I was I was really kind of disappointed that we didn't get a chance to go see this on the big screen. Yeah, it might have made a made a difference. It is it is a huge difference going to the the movies, you know, sitting with somebody else and enjoying a a movie, you know, uh, and and then sitting it, you know, and watching it at your home, you know, on on, you know, you can pause it, you can get up. I just I as much as there are negatives to going to the movie theater including the the ridiculously high ticket price you get nowadays. I mean, yes. nowadays when you can buy the movie, you know, on home video 4 weeks later mm-hmm. and it's it's cost you less than your movie ticket. There is something to be said for even if you're just sitting, you know, quietly with strangers, that energy you get from being in a 
in a showing and and you know kind of the feeling that you can also come away with you see a movie that you didn't like but everybody else there seemed really excited that can wear off on you but yeah uh, but this one this was the start of you know these movies tending to not have theatrical distribution mm-hmm. on any major level yeah so uh so we we find out that the mercenaries are all wiped out they yeah. were shot in the back and we're told that DiBiase's dead although we know this is not true mm-hmm. the hostages including his wife hear this and think this is true yeah just i guess to add a little bit more drama to the movie so DiBiase goes back and he talks to Church. He's like, Church, why don't you come with me? And Church is like, I can't do that, but I'll give you my boat and some weapons. And I'm like, because he's a turncoat <laughs> and he's going to screw you over. Uh, so DiBiase takes that secret cave to the resort. He burns up a bad guy with a laundry press. <laughs> yes, he's pretty much torturing to find out where the hostages are being held, which Seemed kind of silly to me because, sure, it was a luxury resort, but it wasn't that big. Right, and and it, they it had they had to be in a big room, you know. Yeah. They weren't they weren't in like a like a small little you know uh, king size bedroom. Uh, he also he goes to shoot this guy at the end. He like aims his gun at him, and then somebody comes in, and then there's just a big shootout. Uh, the bad guys are apparently trying to make a deal, but something seems funny about it. And then DiBiase arrives, and he starts to lead the hostages out. Mm-hmm. And Church is like, hmm, I maybe could help. Maybe I should help. We, you know, we see him thinking about it. And then DiBiase and the hostages are are all captured. Yeah. DiBiase's chained from the ceiling. Yeah. And we find out that guy in charge of the military was a bad guy. <laughs> in a moment. A- yeah. In that moment, it totally felt like a WWE storyline reveal yes. to me. Yes. The whole thing. It seemed the guy sounded like he was cutting a promo. Yeah, it really did. So they strap a bomb to him with a timer, which I didn't think you needed to do if you're tossing him out the window. Yeah. I don't know much about bombs. Maybe you do have to still have a timer. But they put the bomb on him, and then they blow him up. And so now we're just left with the head bad guy who's much blander than that guy. I almost wish they kept that guy just because that guy was easy to hate. Yeah, instead we get uh, Django Fett. (laughs) Yes, and and this guy did play Django Fett. Yes, he played Django Fett, um, and he's also, I, I believe he's um, hes a native of New Zealand, and he's was known prior to acting as a, a jazz guitar player. Wow. This, yeah. This guy's awesome. we got to see if we can find this guy and talk to him. Yes. So, uh, so th- he does the uh, the old James Bond villain thing where he's like, "Okay, you can torture and kill DiBiase. I will leave the room," you know. And so his like his colleague goes up and and is no match for a chained up DiBiase who takes him apart, kills him, and then unchains himself, ripping his hand oh. out of the handcuff and and really injuring his hand pretty badly. Yeah, uh, it was a brutal scene from the you know the initial. Uh... You know, uh, he stabs the guy and then pulling his hand through that handcuff. I thought he was just going to basically pull the pipe loose, sort of John Cena style. Right. But instead we get this, oof, I mean, the the sound effects on it, the sound design was great. Um, The makeup effects were great. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you really bought the fact that he had done some serious damage to his hand. And I thought this was necessary because at this point, even though he got captured, everything seemed to be too easy for him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seemed like this seemed like a very small adventure. 
And, yeah. you know, and this, you know, when you put your hero in 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 a state of disrepair, you mm -hmm. know, by ripping his arm like it, it's it's akin to uh, Bruce Willis and Die Hard walking around barefoot, getting his feet all bloodied mm -hmm. up. You know, it, it's it's a moment where you take this hero that they've played up, that he's better than these guys. Yeah. And now you've given him this handicap. I think they gave it to him a little too late in the film, but I do like it. Mm hmm. Uh, we see that the hostages are all strapped to a bomb, and then who comes in and, but to save them? But it's Church. Church yes. comes in, and he does that last second, shoots a guy, and you're, what? Yeah. And you turn around, and it's Church. And at this moment, I thought, I guess he's not the bad guy. <laughs> so together they save everyone. Yeah. What do you think about Rooker saving at this point? If you were writing it, I know it's called the Marine, but it's the Marine Two. Yeah. Do you think you might have made it where it's two guys? Yeah, I, I I was almost to the point in the movie when he showed up that I was gonna write him off and say, I guess they got you know Rooker to sort of get a big name in the movie and they had him for two days or whatever, and I was getting ready to make that my biggest complaint of this movie, and then he shows up and saves the day. I would have had him in earlier. I yeah. would have had the, mm -hmm. when that moment came, when he's like, uh, you know, uh, he gives him the boat. I would have had yeah. Rooker say, I'm going with you, you know, yeah. and, and I would have made the poster DiBiase mm -hmm. and Rooker standing side by side. I think it's a better image. Yeah. You know? and, and the other thing is they didn't give any reason for church to be hesitant. Um, you know, they didn't give him a story similar to maybe DiBiase's where yeah. he'd seen the death of an innocent. Yeah, exactly. You know. That should have been his backstory, yeah. if anything, because that would make more sense. DiBiase had the backstory, and he's the guy who went ahead and did it. Yeah, church had no – it didn't feel like church's decision had been earned. No, church had uh, had – the only thing he had done was he apparently didn't apologize to his wife at one point because he, he told us that's why he lost his wife and that DiBiase should go up and apologize to his wife after DiBiase was chewed out by this self-help guy. Yeah, for standing up for his wife. <laughs> that's right. And she's like, first of all, I'm sorry. That'll never happen again. She's very good in this because yeah. that scene, it would be easy to hate her. Mm-hmm. For not, you know, taking his side on it. And she does a good job of making you say, you know what? She's making enough money for him to ride around here. You know, military does, doesn't pay enough. You yeah. know, certainly doesn't pay what they're, they're worth. And so, you know, she seems to have a pretty sweet gig here. She knows to protect it. <laughs> she knows where her bread's buttered. <laughs> So then uh, the resort blows up and you feel like the movie's over, but we get to see Django Fett is running, is running around and we, we get him cornered by DiBiase at the boat. Mm -hmm. And at this point, uh, he's got Django Fett has the wife in a box in a boat. Yeah. And so they have a big stick fight. Yeah. And, and I, I got to say that the, all of the hand-to-hand -hand stuff in this movie was great. Um, it was well shot. It looked like it was well choreographed. DiBiase were fighting guys that were obviously trained to do what they do. Um, overall, I mean, the all of the, the action sequences in this movie really sort of popped for me. DiBiase was asked uh, how he prepared for the movie, and he said, quote, Two hours north of L.A., there was this guy. We went to his house, me and one of the producers. This guy was a real-life mercenary. 
He didn't even give us his real name. He trained Navy SEALs and put together these forced recon missions. He took me out to this desert and he taught me how to hold a rifle, how to carry a rifle, the way the Marines do. I handled guns since I was eight years old, so it was very natural for me to hold a gun. But we wanted the movie to be as realistic as possible and an accurate depiction of a real-life Marine. The training they go through was some of the stuff I did, hand-to-hand combat stuff, how to disarm a guy holding you up with a pistol or a knife. It was really cool stuff I got to learn. Then I went a week early to Thailand to train with the stunt coordinator and the Muay Thai fighters. They were stunt guys. And they were the bad guys in the movie, the terrorists. They were the guys I ended up killing. They were tough dudes, and I learned some Muay Thai stuff. It was a great experience, and I learned a lot. And this uncovers what may have been one of the problems. A lot of times, stunt guys do get work in movies, and maybe these guys just weren't able to carry the acting portion of stunt actor. Yeah, that's what it seems like. So um, we find the wife in the cage on the boat. Very conveniently, he doesn't land on her. He breaks through the boat, but he breaks through right next to her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, what's going on? (laughs) And so he stabs the guy in the chest with the stick. Mm -hmm. And the guy falls back. And you knew he wasn't dead, Craig. Yeah, I know. You're going to get that reveal where he jumps up at the last minute, sort of diehard style. Um, and that's exactly yeah. what he does as, as DiBiase's trying to make some time with his wife. He is. He, he pulls his wife out of the cage and then he's like, let's smooch for a while. And, <laughs> and, and I got to say this to anybody, listen to this. If you ever get in this situation, just keep running. You can smooch <laughs> the next day. As a matter of fact, you can schedule a whole weekend of smooching once you get back. Yeah. But and don't cle- smooch. This is the worst place to smooch. We we also see gasoline yeah. is leaking all over the ship. Yeah, I they mean, both needed to shower. Down. Yeah, they both needed oh. uh um to shower and uh yeah. you know, brush and floss and uh and and you know you know, get their mouths clean. You were worried about the snorkel. When you're in a cage, I mean, there's got to be germs. I mean, I don't think that cage was designed for women. I I hope it wasn't used before for women. I think that was for fish or something Uh, like that. I'm going to drink a whole bottle of mouthwash when we're done. So he comes up and he's like, ah, so DiBiase is able to kill him uh, by jumping off the boat as the boat explodes. You know, they shoot it with the flare and ba-boom, this boat goes up. And so we know the bad guy's dead and we instantly get credits. <laughs> yes, there was no uh, post scene at all. It was no. a, a very, very quick, you know, oh, my God, we've we're at 91 minutes. We can get out of here. They didn't even wait to fade at this point. They were just like, it was like their feet hit the water and credits just started going down. Uh, I wanted more. I wanted wrap up with Michael Rooker. Mm-hmm. I think you could have done it this way if you wanted to wrap it like this, but you need Michael Rooker standing by uh-huh. to pull them out of the water and then they smile and then you cut because we want to see him again. We also might want to see you know, uh, and actually I lost track of, did the self-help guy live through this? Yeah, he actually, he stabbed somebody and kind of feels bad about it. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So it would have been great if he had, you know, also been at the end to be like, well, I'm so sorry. And then I'll offer you a job. And he's like, no, I'm a Marine. <laughs> yes. Or maybe the Miz is a Marine. And then throw <laughs> the title up in big letters. I love it. 
Yeah, I I did not like this ending. I really I I didn't like how rapidly mm-hmm. they cut this off. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh DiBiase had a had a quote about the perks of of doing this movie and and you think about the perks of doing this. You know, he got 2 months off from wrestling, which is very hard for a non-injured wrestler to get. Oh yeah. So, I mean, as a wrestler, you could say, hey, I, I got a job to film whatever movie. I'm going to go do it. The, the WWE is not going to be happy with you. You know, that's not going to sit well on your resume. But if you could, if they say, hey, we need you to go film this movie, you get to go do that. And that's a big deal for wrestlers to get some time off because wrestling is, is tough, you know, and it does, puts a toll on them and they don't get, uh, they don't get a lot of vacations. But in addition to that, look where he got to go. He got to go to this beautiful island. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like they were like, we're shooting in Detroit, you know, they were shooting out, you know, in, in this beautiful, coastline and wonderful mountains and i mean there's even a moment when they're on the snorkeling ship where they look over and just see how gorgeous everything looks i mean this was a wonderful place to go so he said that the perks about being this thing that doing this movie about being there the main perk was that he wasn't getting beat up by john cena or batista every night (laughs) oh i (laughs) love it um, so anyway, so after this movie came out at this point in DiBiase's career, he had, uh, he, he was kind of at the top, but you, you could start seeing that things were starting to go down. Like they didn't, they didn't have a, a post legacy chapter for him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in 2010, when legacy broke apart and when they, when they wrapped things up, they did the million dollar champion gimmick, like we talked about where he was looking for a Virgil and then he was sent over to, uh, to NXT where him and Maurice, which of course is the Miz's real life girlfriend. Yes. Fiance. Uh, and, and so in, in, uh, storyline, she was with Ted DiBiase. So she's been at least cafe with both Marines, uh, <laughs> two of the three at least. Uh, but he was, he was mentoring Brodus Clay for his, uh, his season of NXT, which is certainly a guy who, uh, who came out well from, mm-hmm. uh, from from uh nxt but there was a a a funny moment on the nxt series where brodus clay traded ted dibiase for alberto (laughs) del rio as his pro yes and you may remember uh brodus had this storyline at the time he wasn't the funkasaurus he was a bodyguard he was you know he stood there with ricardo Mm -hmm. and and helped you know keep people away from alberto del rio he was muscle and he had a, a a wonderful you know, little run. And then it ended with, uh, Del Rio was traded, you know, when they did the brand split and Brodus was stuck left behind and Brodus was like, you're going to take me with you. And Del Rio laughed at him. (laughs) And then we didn't see him till he came back as, you know, as this new Funkasaurus character. Yeah. So does that mean that in a couple of months, we're going to see a repackaged Biggie Langston? I hope, I hope so. <laughs> there are, there are a lot of things that, uh, that could be done. So, uh, before we get to whether we tap or not to this movie, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about the Marine Four. We've had three Marines. We've had John Cena in the theatrical version of the Marine. We've had, uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. and we've had The Miz. Who do you think they should go with if they do another one? Oh, okay. 
Let's see here. Let me, let me think of the of the current roster and guys yes. that they could possibly afford to lose for for two months while they go film a movie. Yeah, so but also need, have have a little bit of visibility. So when the movie comes out, people are going to want to buy it. Right. You need somebody that that a lot of people know the name of. And people get a little excited about, and it also be somebody that this could actually give them a boost. Mm-hmm. I am going to say Ryback. Oh, Ryback would would certainly look the part. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a really good person to do it. Uh, and he's gotten better in his promos, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And he would I be think... off TV for two months. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would do The Miz. I got to tell you, I think that the gimmick they should do with The Miz is they've got this other movie that he's done, this Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're what they're selling is, oh, he's a movie star, but he's a face. Mm-hmm. And it's almost wrong for a face to lie and say he's a movie star when he's done a directed tv a directed video movie and a directed tv movie that mm-hmm. hasn't come out but how would you like it if he started getting you know uh roles like this and any other role they can get him and he says he's a movie star and he's a heel mm-hmm. and he he's deluded you know and yeah. and thinks he's a big star and he's not it would really be a, a good play on the miz character because the miz character that he used to have was very obnoxious. And I think that would really work for him that, you know, everybody knows he's not a movie star except for him. Yeah. And you know what? That could spiral into a, a program with Jericho uh, and they could, uh, they could have a, a, you know, a nice match on at WrestleMania 30. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like it. I really, I really think that's, if I was going to do it, I'd keep him, but I would, you got to write for the next one. If you're going to have the Miz, you got to put some comedy mm-hmm. in there for him. And, and I think that, uh, I think one of the problems with this movie was that it was a, a little too on, a little too serious. I mean, I think you want to have a lot of fun with, mm-hmm. with a movie, you know, a low budget movie, action movie like this. You kind of want to check your brain and have a good time. So let's get to this. Do you tap out to the Marine 2? All right. I got to say, now having seen all three Marine movies, they all deliver a little bit of a different experience. Coming into this one, I knew that you had didn't have the best opinion of it. Yes. So uh, that might have lowered my expectations, but I actually came out of it pleasantly surprised. Um, I think DiBiase showcased, as I said earlier, a, a lot more charisma than he did um, on WWE programming, out, yeah. you know, outside of the ring, uh, you know, on the mic. Um I thought the the film was uh, it was well shot. the uh, The action was great. The fight sequences were well choreographed. Um, it did have its bad parts, like I said, the the lifeless sort of you know bad guys. But overall, at ninety five minutes, it was a you know a, a, a quick little watch where you know you're you're able to sort of just sit back and watch things explode and watch guys punch each other. Um, I did not tap. All right. Now, how do you rank the three Marine films? I would go. I would do them in this order: Marine One, Marine Two, Marine Three. All right. Fair enough. Um, I I did not like it the first time around, and I don't think seeing it a second time that helped because while I went into it with an open mind, I also went into it knowing everything that was going to happen in this movie. And Mm -hmm. I knew Michael Rooker was never going to be the bad guy and he was not going to show up till the end. I knew how the movie was going to abruptly end. And, and I knew a lot of other things. Uh, 
you know, that the plot was a little confusing and, you know, and I, I focused and tried to pay attention to every detail of it. But in the end, it comes off to me as a very flat movie and it's not a bad movie. It's not a movie you're going to hate if you turn it on, but it's not a movie to me that's going to give you much emotional satisfaction of any kind. Uh, so if you, if you're looking for something, you know, a little silly, like, uh, like no holds barred, this isn't it. Um, and if you're looking for a fun romp, like the other two Marine films, I don't feel this is it because for me, a dead boy in the beginning of your film is really, really something hard to overcome. And if you keep reminding me that you killed a little boy on camera as part of your storyline, I'm constantly going, that's very sad. And nothing in this movie is bringing me back up. So I tap out. I, I do a solid tap out to, uh, to the Marine too. All right, fair enough. So, Craig, thanks again for joining me on this one. Oh, it was my pleasure, as always. And we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want to pin it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!